Chishi Radha Krishna Gopinashan, Lupanda Radha Kundagiri Govardhana Kija, Vrindavan Dhamma Kija, Tura Dhamma Kija, Yavadvip Mayapur Dhamma Kija, Jagannapuri Dhamma Kija, Gangamai Dhuna Devi Kija, Bhakti Devi Kija, Tulsi Maharani Kija, Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Kija, Gaur Premananda. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutaleshu Mati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namami. Namaste Sarasati Deve Goravani Pacharne Nirvase Sisunivadi Paskachade Shachane. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sarvajatam Sagana Raganatam Vitam Samsajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Panchakalpa Chupishakipasanavyevatapitinam Pavanevyo Vaishnavayam Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya December 2nd, 2016, in Mayapur, India, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, Chapter 8, The Lord Slays the King of the Demons, 46 and 47. So 47's on the board. I'll just read 46. Sri Vijidhara Uchu Vidyam Pritad Dharananyanaradam Naseda Ragno Balavirya Dutta Sayena Sanke Pasuvada Tustam Maya Nashingam Prananats Manicham. The inhabitants of Vidyara Loka prayed, Our acquired power to appear and disappear in various ways according to varieties of meditation was banned by that foolish Hiranyakashipu because of his pride in his superior bodily strength and his ability to conquer others. Now the Supreme Personality of God has killed him just as if the demon were an animal. Unto that supreme pastime form of Lord Nasingadev we eternally offer our respectful Basis. The inhabitants of Nagaloka who looked like serpents said, Yena, by which person? Papena, the most sinful, Hiranyakashipu. Radnani, the jewels on our heads. Stri Radnani, beautiful wives. Ritani, taken away. Naha, our. Tat, his. Vakshaha Patanena, 
by the piercing of the chest. Awesome. Of all the women who were kidnapped. Datta Ananda. Oh Lord, you are the source of the pleasure. Namaha. Our respectful obeisances. Astu. Let there be. Te. Unto you. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. The inhabitants of Nagaloka said, The most sinful Hiranyakashipu took away all the jewels on our hoods and all our beautiful wives. Now, since his chest has been pierced by your nails, you are the source of all pleasure to our wives. Thus, we together offer our respectful obeisances unto you. Purport. No one is peaceful if his wealth and wife are forcibly taken away. All the inhabitants of Nagaloka, which is situated below the earthly planetary system, were in great anxiety because their wealth had been stolen and their wives kidnapped by Hiranyakashipu. Now Hiranyakashipu having been killed, their wealth and wives were returned and their wives felt satisfied. The inhabitants of various lokas or planets offered their respectful obeisances unto the Lord because they were relieved by the death of Hiranyakashipu. Disturbances similar to those created by Hiranyakashipu are now taking place all over the world because of demoniac governments. As stated in the 12th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, the men of the governments of Kali Yuga will be no better than rogues and plunderers. Thus the populace will be harassed on one side by scarcity of food and on another by heavy taxation by the government. In other words, the people in most parts of the world in this age are harassed by the ruling principles of the inhabitants of Nagaloka said, The most sinful Hiranyakashipu took away all the jewels on our hoods and all our beautiful wives. Now, since his chest has been pierced by your nails, you are the source of all pleasure to our wives. Thus we together offer our respectful obeisances unto you. Does anyone remember what Srila Prabhupada's without if you those of you who don't have a little thing there? What was Prabhupada's first sentence in this purport? It was a very interesting sentence. Yes. No one will be peaceful if their wife and wealth is taken away. That's a very interesting statement because there peace is being equated with our external material situation. Isn't that right? No one is peaceful if his wealth and wife are forcibly taken away. If you don't have your money, you don't have your romantic partner, you will be in a state of uh, agitation. Not peaceful. Disturbed. But Krishna tells us in Bhagavad Gita 5.21 that we should find happiness where? Within. That our happiness should not be dependent on whether we have money 
and a romantic partner. Or anything. A house, respect. So many times Krishna repeats this in the Bhagavad Gita, that one should be equipoised, not disturbed by what? Happiness and distress. What else? Hmm? Suffering and enjoyment? Heat and cold. Heat and cold. What else? Somebody else. Success and failure. Yes. Happiness that comes from matter. Happiness that comes from matter. Yes. Huh? Gain and loss. Yes. This is a big loss. If your wife is kidnapped, that's a pretty big loss. Friends and enemies, fame and infamy, honor and dishonor, auspicious and inauspicious, that one should be detached. And why? Because one is enjoying a pleasure within. Not that one is detached like a stone. You know, this table doesn't care uh, if you praise it. Very nice table, terrible table, it doesn't care. If you take away the cloth, it doesn't cry. You know, oh, I've lost my cloth. So, not to be detached like a table, but to be detached because param jistra nivartite. One has a higher happiness. So we may ask the question, then why does Shiva Prabhupada say in this purport that no one is peaceful if his wealth and wife are taken away? And Prabhupada goes on to talk about what? Prabhupada spends about half the purport, second half of the purport, talking about demoniac governments that take away people's wealth. And some of them also take away people's wives and husbands, actually. So let's look at this no one is peaceful business. What does this mean? And how we can become peaceful, uh, even if materially nobody would be able to become peaceful. And then we can look at why is somebody like Srila Prabhupada concerned about people's wealth and wives and government? What is Srila what is Prabhupada's concern about these things? Why is he writing about something like that? Why does he care? So what does it mean no one can be peaceful? When one is in a material consciousness, when one thinks, I am this body, I am this mind. Then one will have to be happy by the things related to the body and the mind. And we are Ananda Maya Biasat. We are pleasure-seeking beings. To live without happiness for us is impossible. At least we have to be looking for happiness. So, I'm sure most of you know I'm from America and we have... Are in our Declaration of Independence from the United Kingdom. So they wrote, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to look for happiness. They didn't say everyone has the right to be happy, but they said everyone has the right to look for happiness. So looking for happiness is our natural state. Even the little bug is looking for happiness. The little ants, you know, the... Mosquito is looking for happiness. The plants are looking for happiness. But if we think that we are this body and this mind, we are going to define happiness in terms of the body and the mind. 
because that's going to be our I. I am this. Therefore, making this happy is what I need. And we're convinced that if we could just make our body and mind happy, then we would be peaceful. There's a direct relationship between peace and happiness. Correct? Doesn't Krishna say that? Second chapter says nobody can be happy unless they're peaceful. So a materialistic person is thinking, let me arrange everything in the world so that all my senses and my mind will always have the appropriate object. And then I will be able to maintain that. And then I will be peaceful. I will have beautiful things to look at, wonderful things to hear, very nice things to smell, right? wonderful food to taste, comfortable clothes to wear, comfortable temperature with my AC and my heater and my hot water. <laughs> and then for my mind, I will have my family, right? One is one of the main reasons a man wants a wife is so she can say, ah, oh, you are my hero. Nowadays, I don't know what the wives say to their husbands, but that's the idea. And, you know, and the wife wants a husband, so he will say, you are the most beautiful woman in the whole world. Huh? And we want people like that, the children to say, you know, you are everything to me, and your friends to say, I love you, and your people at work to say, we couldn't do this without you. That is all happiness for the mind. The main happiness from, for the mind is I am great, I am wonderful, I am important, I am loved, people appreciate me, they want me around, you know, I have done so many nice things. This is our happiness for the mind. Now the problem is materially that it is impossible to arrange everything so it's always like that and it stays. Have you noticed this? You can arrange, you know, you have a beautiful house and then the roof leaks and your ceiling has a stain in it and then you have to fix it. You understand? You make a beautiful yard, somebody throws rubbish in it. You burn incense and then there's some sewage smell outside the window. Something happens. You understand? Yes? Everybody understands? You set up everything for your sense pleasure, but something happens. You get a wife, and before marriage, she is saying, you are my hero. And after marriage, she says, I've been telling you for three years to fix the door. What is wrong with you, foolish man? And, and so, you know, then, it, then it, it's broken. And we, oh, maybe I'm not such a hero. Oh, no. So it's very hard to maintain this. It doesn't stay. You can't keep it. And so, you know, we set it all up, and then some, this breaks over here, and this breaks, and this, this person criticized me, and, 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 and this thing doesn't work. Isn't it a fact? Right? And then also, to make it much worse than this, if that wasn't bad enough, we get bored of things. You know, we get bored. So we, if someone first comes to Mayapur, they see the TOVP being built, they go, wow. And when you live here, you don't even see it. You're just walking, you know. Oh, it's like that. If you have a beautiful home, we have a temple in Detroit where there's gold in the floor. Real gold, 24 karat gold in the floor. 
But if that is your home, after a very short time, you don't even notice it. So if you have good food to eat, let's say you could keep all of that. Let's say you could have all silk clothes and good food and your wife always told you you were a hero and you always had your jewels on your head like these Nagas. You get bored of it. You don't even notice it anymore. You understand? You don't, it just fades into the background. So therefore we have to keep getting new things. New food. And nowadays they keep getting a new wife. You know, we keep getting something new because we, we become conditioned. And this is a big problem. So this means if you want to be peaceful on the material level, you have to keep getting things that are pleasing for your mind and senses. You have to keep them pleasing. And you have to keep changing them with some new pleasing thing all the time. Is it possible to be peaceful doing that? Is that possible? Everything you have, you know, will break. It's all going to break. And you have to keep getting new. So the very, the very conditions that are necessary materially to become peaceful mean you have to be not peaceful to get them and keep them. You understand? To keep my house clean and beautiful, to keep my husband, wife, children, mother, father loving me and praising me, to keep having good new food, I have to accept a lot of anxiety. But without those things, I cannot be peaceful. Therefore, Krishna says, to Kalayim. It's not going to work. And if that wasn't bad enough, we are not this body. <laughs> so all these things we're getting don't touch us. Even if somehow you could find a planet, Krishna says you can't. Krishna says, you'll not find that place. Not in this world. But if you could find, let's say you could find it, like Hiranyakashipu tried to do, you become Indra, or you become Brahma, or you become a Prajapati or something, and you could keep it. Let's say you could keep it. Everything was always beautiful and sounding nice and smelling nice, and everybody was always praising you, and there was no demons, and there was no... Nothing. If you could keep it with all variety, it still wouldn't work because it's only touching the body and the mind. And therefore, people who have these things, they're not peaceful. If we take the people on this planet who have beautiful wife, beautiful husband, lots of money, wearing jewels on their head, lots of praise. Are all of them happy? Every day you can read in the paper that some rich, famous, beautiful person that is surrounded by all these things is not happy. Isn't that correct? Why? Because it's just touching the soul. I give this example all the time. One day it was a fast day and I was fasting doing from food and water, but I was I took a little rest. 
And in my dream, because I was fasting, in my dream I was eating. <laughs> and I was eating a very big feast, but I was also thirsty, so I was drinking. So in my dream, I had a cup of water and I drank the cup of water. And I was still thirsty. So in my dream, I drank another cup of water. And I was still thirsty. And in my dream, I drank another cup of water and another cup and another cup. And then in my dream, I had a big jug of water. And I was pouring it into my mouth. You know, it's a big jug. And then in my dream, I thought, something's funny. <laughs> and then I woke up and I understood, oh, it is dream water. So it's just like that. If you get the beautiful house and the beautiful wife and the children who go to Oxford and the flat screen TV and the BMW and everybody says, Jai, Jai, you are great. And then you say, if that's it, I'm not happy. <laughs> because it's, it's all dream water. It's, it's just like you take a photograph. You know, here's a nice house, my nice car, my family. See? See how happy I am in the photograph? <laughs> but it's not touching the, the soul. It's not real. It's not real. But on the material level, if we don't have objects for our senses and our mind, we will not have even a little peace. So how do we get peace in reality? <coughs> How does one actually find peace? So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna gives different systems of yoga by which one can find peace. So he talks about karma yoga. In karma yoga, he says, if you give up the fruits, karma pala tiyaga, then at the end, you will find shanti. If you do work, pious work, according to Varnashram, and every time you get the fruit, you give it away. You work for something, you give it away. You work for something, you give it away. You work for something, you give it away. That will make you very what? Detached. Even an ordinary person who has a family. Nowadays, people don't want to marry anymore. They want to have relations without marriage. Or that, you know, whatever. Artificially be unmarried. But even just if people are married, you have to give away some of your fruits, isn't it? The man has to give some of the money to the wife and children. The woman is not just cooking for herself. She has to cook for her husband and her children. You do something and you give the fruit away. It makes you detach. And when you detach, you become peaceful. Because you're no longer invested in what will happen. You become invested in simply your work at the moment for the pleasure of the Lord. Then in Jnana Yoga, you become peaceful by thinking about philosophy, thinking about we're not this body, what we were just talking about, how nothing in the world will really satisfy us. That makes you also very detached. You, know, you look at some beautiful body and you say, oh, this is just skin and hair, like that story Prabhupada told about liquid beauty, right? You see some, oh, very beautiful eyes. But if you just see some eyes on a plate, you know. <laughs> I was at an airport once with some devotees. We were going to a festival, and they have these uh, television screens in the airport. All the time, people have to be watching some screen today. You know? 
So it was some commercial for hair or something. There was some beautiful young girl with gorgeous hair. I mean, I've never actually seen a real person with hair like that. And she was flipping her hair around. And all the men that were with us, they all looked at the floor. But I was thinking, if you just see some hair, you understand? On the girl, it's pretty. But just on the ground, if there was just a pile of hair. You know? So that's Gyan. Gyan, you understand, this is just hair. That's one of the hellish planets. You have to swim in a river of skin and hair and mucus and blood. So you meditate on this. I am doing that right now. I am in this body swimming in this blood and hair. And so you become detached. And when you become detached, you become peaceful. And then there's Dhyan Yoga. So in Dhyan Yoga, you use the mechanics of the body. So it's very interesting. Krishna has designed the human form. It has a mechanical system. If you sit in a certain way, and you breathe in a certain way, and you put your mind in a certain place, then you experience this pleasure that is beyond the senses and beyond the mind. This is a mechanical system. Even if you're a Buddhist, today meditation is becoming very popular. I don't know if all of you know, but in the world today, uh, meditation is becoming very, very popular. Mostly it is being taught by the Buddhists. Somehow, just like kirtan became very popular, but it wasn't being taught by the Hare Krishna devotees. You know, so now meditation is becoming popular, but it's again not being taught by the Hare Krishna devotees, it's being taught by the Buddhists. And even if you're a Buddhist, if you just put your body that way and you breathe in a certain way, you will experience some pleasure within that is beyond the senses and beyond the mind. And they are advertising. If you meditate like this, any place you go, you can immediately be joyful and peaceful no matter what is happening externally. So that is Dhyan Yoga. Dhyan Yoga, you're manipulating the mechanics of the gross and subtle body to put it in a state of peace and detachment. Now, in Bhakti Yoga, our process for becoming peaceful is very different and very wonderful and very sweet and very natural. To work for a fruit and give it away is a little hard, isn't it? Work for money, then give away your money? That's very hard. And to just be philosophical, that's also hard to maintain. Have you noticed that? I know, know one devotee who worked in a hospital. He was saying the doctors and nurses in the surgery room, they are flirting. You understand what is flirting? They are like subtle sex with each other. In the surgery room. You understand? So there are the, the men and women, doctors and nurses, they are cutting open the body. And while they are cutting open the body and seeing what is the body, they are saying, oh, will you have dinner with me tonight? <laughs> so this is the problem with Gyan. Right? And the problem with Gyan, most people cannot sit down for two hours, three hours, four hours to do Gyan. They have to check their phone. Right? They cannot just sit. But Bhakti is so nice to find peace in Bhakti. Anybody can do this. We all have experience that if we are attached to someone or something, 
that we will meditate on that someone or something. Yes? Everyone has this experience? So those, any of you who've ever been in love, when you were in love, you were only thinking of that person. 24 hours a day. The boy is thinking of the girl, girl is thinking of the boy. After they're married 5, 10 years, it's not quite like that. But in the beginning, it's like that. Or if you have a baby, any of you have a baby, when the baby's first born, again, when they're 30, it's not like that. But when they're a little baby, you're, you're waking up at night, is he breathing, is he breathing? You're meditating. Even our objects, even if someone gives you a new phone, you may be meditating on the phone. You understand? And it, it absorbs our consciousness. Or if you're thinking, oh, you know, Tomorrow I'm going to go on this pilgrimage. Whatever, then our whole consciousness becomes absorbed, and we don't notice the things in our external environment so much. We don't care. When we have some great attachment to someone or something, or a great anxiety, it can be a negative attachment, and we are absorbed in that person. It could be an animal. You could be absorbed in a cow or a dog or object when we're fully absorbed if somebody insults us we don't care if you're on the way to meet your beloved husband you just got married two days ago you know and somebody comes and makes insults you you're so fixed on what you're doing where you, that you don't even notice it if your breakfast is not very good you, you don't it doesn't doesn't affect us so if this is true for a tiny, 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 tiny bit of Krishna's energy, if this is true when we have an attachment just to another jiva, if this is true if we have an attachment to a phone or a pair of shoes or something like that, how much must this be true when we are attached to Krishna, who is the source of everything? So I really like what Prabhupada says in Bhagavad Gita 12.2, purport, we're going shopping for the deities, we're in samadhi. In Dhyan Yoga Samadhi, you can't go shopping. Like Shamakarishi, he was in samadhi, and he didn't even hear Maharaj Parikit enter. If you were trying to drive your scooter in that kind of samadhi, it would be very dangerous. You understand? But if you're in a samadhi of love, you can be shopping for the deities, you can be cooking, and you're in this samadhi. And then you have everything within, and you're peaceful. Of course, you're not completely peaceful. We'll get there in two minutes. So if this is the solution to be absorbed in the Lord, to be absorbed in the Singhadev, ripping apart Harani Kashipu, if that makes us really peaceful, why is Shiva Prabhupada writing this purport? about peace in the world and governance. Why does he care? Why don't we just tell everybody, go off to some remote part of the world, make a little Varnashram village, forget about everybody. Just meditate on the Singhadev killing Hiranyakashipu, meditate on little baby Krishna stealing the butter, meditate on Rasdila, and you will be peaceful and you will be happy. Why is he talking about these things? The, the sad fact 
is that the majority of people will not look for happiness and peace within if their external environment is too disturbed. That's the, the sad reality. Although happiness within can be there even in a disturbed environment. When they're so disturbed, as Prabhupada said here in Mayapur, nobody within 10 miles should be hungry. He said if people are hungry, they will not hear philosophy. Have you noticed this? If you're hungry, it's very hard to listen to philosophy. Amaris Pariket set the example. He was hungry, he was tired, he was thirsty. And so he became angry at a sage. It's very, very difficult. Or if somebody's grieving, you know, somebody's relative has just died, or the doctor just says you have cancer, and you try to talk to them philosophically. Have you ever tried this? It doesn't work. If you say to someone, just meditate on Krishna, it's very hard to hear you. So for people in general, if there's not a peaceful situation in the world, relatively speaking, just like we have this class here in this room, we don't have the class on the street. And they're saying in the TOVP, they're going to have a separate room for the class because people are coming in for darshan and it's creating a disturbance. Sometimes you try to give a class, and there's, we had this in Chennai, they had us give a seminar in the part of the restaurant. And people were constantly walking back and behind and in front and opening the door. And every time this is happening, everybody looks. Huh? Everybody. So this is the, the difficulty. If any of us in this room, if we're thinking, how am I going to get enough rupees to pay my cleaner? They're only giving me 2,000 rupees a day. And if you're sitting here thinking like this, it's very hard to hear about Hiranyakashipu and the Nagas. The mind is going there. So therefore, Krishna wants, Krishna wants, Krishna wants a system where there's good government and where the government makes sure that people have their money and their wife. That's what Krishna wants. Not because if you have money and a wife, a husband, children, whatever, then you will actually become happy. Uh, but so then you can, you can hear. Like Prabhupada says in the Bhagavad Gita, marriage is to make the mind peaceful so that you can hear. It's a simple principle. And nowadays it's very hard for people to get enough money to live. If you don't have, you know, husband working, wife working... And even then, it's very difficult. It's hard for people to find a good spouse. Hard for people to keep a good spouse. And even these demoniac Hiranyakashipu governments, as Prabhupada says here, they're destroying family. I think about particularly in China, where they had this rule, only one child. And they were even forcing abortions at eighth month of pregnancy. Only one child. So it's demoniac. And after two, three generations, then there's no uncles, there's no aunties, there's no brothers, there's no sisters, there's no cousins. Family is destroyed. And because in those cultures, the family wants to have at least one son. So therefore, they are aborting the female children and even killing the female babies or sending them for adoption to America. In America, it's very easy to adopt a girl Chinese baby uh, because they're giving them away. So then what happens 
is in China now there aren't enough women. This is now also the problem in India. Because in India, they're not forcing, but so much propaganda we see everywhere. One is best, one is best, one is best. One family, one child, one family, one child, one family, one child. And one devotee was telling me, she said, if they have a boy, they will have one. If they have a girl, they will have two. <laughs> to try to get a boy, then they will stop. So there's not enough women. So what's happening in China, a married woman with children is being kidnapped to marry another man in another place. So you have your wife, you have your children, and the, the government is kidnapping your wife so some other man who doesn't have a wife can have a wife because there's not enough women. So therefore Prabhupada's saying this, he's saying, you know, we may read this and think, uh, is the is modern government really kidnapping people's wives? They actually, they are. They actually are. And are they taking the wealth? Certainly. Modern governments are taking the wealth in so many ways. And making it, and they are ruining our environment. The modern governments, they're polluting our water, polluting our air, polluting our food. And we're in so much anxiety even to drink water. I know Bhakti Swami was saying, maybe soon we'll have to have our own air canisters. You know? When I was growing up, nobody carried water. Nobody carried a bottle of water. I mean, unless you were hiking in the woods or something. So it's very hard for people even to hear about God when they're thinking, where will I get food, where will I get money? So out of compassion, Prabhupada cared about the material, illusory situation of people in general. Just see. And as Prabhupada's followers, we have to also care. For a while, I was uh, about a year and a half, two years, I was on the devotee care committee. And you, know, you have to think, do the devotees have prasadam? Do they have water? Do they have a place to stay? Not only the devotees. If we establish Varnashram, we will have Rajarshis. And they will also care. Do people have hospitals? Do they have schools? Do they have clothes? Do they have a nice family? And Krishna wants this in the world. We are not simply recluses. However, if we only look at those things, then we are losing the whole point. Because nobody will really be peaceful, even if they have their wealth and their wife. Now, the amazing thing about bhakti, my dear friends, is that when you go deep into bhakti, you also become not peaceful. Is Mother Yasoda very peaceful? Is Srimati Radharani very peaceful? Is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu very peaceful? Is that what you think when we think of Lord Chaitanya? Oh, he's just peaceful? The ghost swamis, hey Rad, hey Rajadevi, hey Chalavite, hey Nandasuna. Where are you? Where are you? You're over here? Well, Mahaprabhu is seeing a sand dune. Oh, Giridaj, Giridaj! He jumps in the ocean. And just you touch Lord Chaitanya. The fisherman touched Lord Chaitanya. And he lost all of his peace. He says, now I become crazy. Just touching that. I must have touched a ghost. But the lack of peace in bhakti is actually above material peace. The lack of peace in bhakti 
gives one equanimity to the world. From a material perspective, the madman in bhakti is very peaceful. Because we have excitement going on within. We don't just have detachment. Detachment's very nice, but we don't just have detachment. And my dear friends, we are not looking exactly for detachment. We are looking for the excitement and the adventure and the anxiety of love, which naturally gives us material detachment. Exactly like somebody who's fixated on their looking for their lost dog, they don't notice the other things in their environment. When we are in anxiety about Krishna, then nothing in this world will touch us. We will automatically have equanimity. We will automatically have peace. We will automatically have everything that people are working for in karma yoga, gyan yoga, dhyan yoga. What to speak of everything that people are working for in ordinary karma? Does that mean if you have bhakti, you will have a beautiful house and a beautiful wife and beautiful jewels on your head? And as in the past verse, the ability to appear and disappear at will? I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but it won't matter. It won't matter. One will have spiritual television in the heart. And not just 2D or 3D, but 10D. <coughs> One will be in Krishna's leelas in the heart. And above that, we'll be discussing this in Manashiksha in the afternoons here, Krishna will. We'll be discussing the stages of meditation on Sunday. Above that, one will see Krishna face to face. Krishna's pastimes, Krishna's antaras, Krishna's devotees, Krishna's world will be one's ever-present reality. There will be no material world, as Prabhupada says in chapter 20 of Krishna book. For the materialist, they see everything as very aggressive, but to the devotees, everything is very happily situated. <coughs> so how much care should we put into wealth and wives and society? Some, as a seva, but to always look for the happiness within. Whatever care we take for society, for the externals, only as a seva, to give people a platform and to give ourselves a platform so that we can really go within. And if Krishna doesn't arrange that, if Krishna doesn't arrange that our externals are nice, if Krishna puts us into poverty and disease and no family and criticism, we always know that our real happiness and our real peace is something we carry around with us all the time, that no Hiranyakashifu can ever take away. So if anyone has questions or comments or corrections or additions or subtractions, or chastisements. Yes, Prabhu. <coughs> Ah. Uh, Which happens even in the brahmachari life. Yes. 
Where is that art? <laughs> Where is that art? You know, whenever... So I was... I ran Gurukulas for a long time. And we call them Gurukulas because Prabhupada's the guru and it's Prabhupada's place. But a real Gurukula would teach these arts, you know. Whenever someone says, we should have Gurukulas, I say, then you have to make flower airplanes. <laughs> what is that art? It is mostly a mental adjustment. So if one is able to make, this is, I only have a few minutes. If one is able to make the mind still, the mind in the Bhagavatam is described as a product of sattva gun. So the natural factory setting of the mind, the default factory setting of the mind is sattva gun. Interesting, isn't it? So if you can make the mind still in sattva gun, then all these desires become subdued and satisfied. So how to do that? That's, it's a mechanical... T- you can do it through karma yoga, jnana yoga. But there's also a mechanical means through dhyan yoga. And, and Srila Prabhupada talking about the brahmana who meditated on offering the sweet rice, right? Rupa Goswami quotes this. Prabhupada talks about in nectar devotion. He said there that in those days everybody knew how to do that. Everybody knew how to mechanically put the body and the mind into a state of trance. So if you, if you do that mechanically, the mind will go into sattva And in sattva the mind is peaceful. Those desires, because all those desires are from raja maybe tamagun, yeah, all of them. So the mind goes into sattva and then you feel in the mind a happiness that is far beyond the senses and the mind. Now, we are supposed to be achieving this in bhakti, not mechanically through janyana. So, by absorption in Krishna, we will also naturally experience all of these lesser things from sattva Although Krishna says to Uddhava in the 11th canto, if you don't yet have bhakti, then cultivate sattva the, what's nice about sattva is that Krishna says the happiness in sattva can awaken you to self-realization. Like I'm in correspondence with one gentleman who's become a devotee by doing Buddhist meditation. He did Buddhist meditation and he put his mind in sattva and he saw Krishna, which was not what his Buddhist teachers told him would happen. They told him, when you go to this place, you will see there's no God and there's no soul. But Krishna says, sattva can awaken you to self-realization. The problem with sattva is you can become conditioned by it, and you can think, oh, I am happy, I am peaceful, I can subdue all my desires, and you kind of stay there. Of course, you can't fully stay there. You'll jump into tamagun and rajagun periodically. But anyway, that's how it's done. That's how it's done. It's a mechanical process. Most of us don't have the patience for that process at the present time, uh, nor such good teachers for it, but it can be done. Uh, I I would suggest that rather than trying to do that process independently of bhakti, that one should find that one is experiencing that in bhakti. And if we're not experiencing that in bhakti, there's probably something wrong with our bhakti. Either, like Prabhupada said, if you're eating a meal and you say, I'm eating a meal, but I'm not happy, 
He says, then you're not really eating, like you're chewing gum. You know, you're making the motions, and there's some flavor, but there's no nourishment. Or he said, there's parasites in the system. So if we're doing bhakti, and we're not finding these side effects of sattva gun, that we become peaceful, we become joyful, that we're able to, to subdue and satisfy desires internally, then either we're not really doing bhakti, which is quite common, by the way. We're doing maybe karmakanda in the name of bhakti. That's becoming increasingly popular in Iskand. Or we're doing karma misra bhakti. Or we're doing yan misra bhakti. These, all these things I'm seeing increasing in, in Iskand. You know, or this, the, the standard, you know, or we have the, the parasites, we have the, the offenses. So if we're doing pure bhakti, we're doing uttam bhakti, but we're committing offenses. And Prabhupada says some very strong things. He says if you're not joyful, you haven't even started your bhakti. He says you're just a pretender. <laughs> so we should try to, to get the real thing. And when we get the real thing, yeah, then, then these, these desires that come to the body and the mind, naturally, as long as you have a material body and mind, material desires will come. Like, but light should be like rivers into the ocean. One thing we should never do is just work on aversion and suppression. I mean, you may have to do that in an emergency for a couple minutes, but, you know, so you don't steal things and kill people. But, but aversion and repression as a technique will backfire. It will actually make you more attached. You understand? You know, we had experience. The, this, the erstwhile sannyasis who were like, don't get married, don't look at women. You know, we, you, you know all those, how we saw that. All they ever talked about was women. And then one day, they found one of their own. So, you know, if, if you just go for the, the aversion and the suppression, that, that's not, it's not pushing it away. It's leaving it. Oh, there's a desire. Okay. I have a material body, I'm going to have a desire. High desire. I have my own life. You understand? If, you have, if you're with your friends and you're walking on the sidewalk and so many other people are walking past you, some of them are nice people, some of them are not nice people, but you're with your friend you haven't seen for 20 years. It happens in Mayapur all the time, right? It's very hard in Mayapur and Vrindavan to get from point A to point B. <laughs> Expeditiously. So, you know, you're with this friend. That you, that you, you love this friend. And these other people, they're walking past you. Some of them are ugly, some of them are beautiful. And you may notice with your peripheral vision, that's a really ugly person. That's a really not beautiful person. But it, that's not your absorption. They're coming and they're going. You don't grab them and you don't reject them. You just let them go. You're the observer. Bhagavad Gita, chapter 5, chapter 13. You're the observer. But why? Because in bhakti, you're absorbed in the reality. Not because you practice some mechanical detachment. Is that right? So we should end now. Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Shrimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.